Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life with the advisors from Foster and Motley. In this podcast, they share their mission to help individuals, couples, and families achieve the life they envision by providing a comprehensive wealth management experience. Join the seasoned team of experts as they explore actionable steps to improve your financial well-being and answer your most pressing questions. Reports of data breaches at big-name consumer companies, including retailers, are unfortunately nothing new. But protecting personal information begins much closer to home with you. Zach Horn and Joe Patterson, investment manager and financial planner respectively with Foster & Motley, have some suggestions for steps you can take to safeguard your data. They also explain how Foster & Motley protects information in its files. I'm Patrice Sakora, and the boys are here Zach and Joe, it's glad to be, I'm very glad to be with you guys again. Zach, why don't you kick us off here? Sure. Nice to be with you again, Patrice. And today we're talking about financial data, sensitive information and security of it. And that is extremely important in many walks of life, but especially in our businesses, you know, we work with clients that, you know, grant us access to all of their personal private information related to their financials. And um, it's very important for us as a firm to be cognizant of that and on top of our game as far as financial data security. And we do take that extremely seriously and have dedicated resources to making sure that our framework of systems and processes are secure and that we can maintain all of our client data, all of their personally identifiable information in a, in a secure and compliant manner. So that's first and foremost, an important thing for us to take care of. And then secondly, we want to help our clients manage the security of their financial information in all aspects of their life. And that comes in the form of data that is sent to us, to other professionals that they may work with, whether it's a CPA or an estate planning attorney, or just the way that they're utilizing their email, data security and, and the breach of financial information can occur just from you know, clicking on the wrong link of an email. And then all of a sudden your computer is corrupt and uh, the bad guys have access to everything. So we do a lot with assisting our clients in learning the best practices for financial data to be secure. And Joe, that brings up a, a story that I think you have to tell us. Yeah. These attempts to access sensitive information come in all forms. One that has happened, unfortunately, more than once is kind of low tech. And this speaks to the education piece that we'll get into a little further into the discussion. But client receives an urgent phone call from the IRS. You can put IRS in air quotes here. Hey, you're late on a payment. You have a penalty. You got to take care of this ASAP. The IRS or imposters of IRS in this case, request sensitive data from this client, including their social security number. Again, this is theater, right? There's an urgency. You must take care of this. You're late. You're delinquent. You're going to have more penalties and owe more money if you don't take care of this now. So clients in this case, it's happened, have given their information to these folks. And with that particular set of social security number, address, personally identifiable information as Zach referred to. They have sort of an open canvas of things they can do, including take out loans in the client's name. 
So, and that is truly fraud and a big mess to clean up. So as a side note, the IRS will never call you. They always send hard mail communication for these types of inquiries, but this is just one example of, you know, it can be, you click on a link, you, you can have your network hacked, or you can take a phone call from the wrong person. Somebody who is in this business of kind of stealing from people more or less. So just wanted to share that because it's happened. It, it will happen again. If these attempts weren't successful periodically, you wouldn't get these calls in the first place. I've got to share an incident that happened with me. The, the utility called, left a message supposedly with the utility. I called it back. So I'm thinking, this doesn't sound right. Sure enough, they were telling me my power was going to be cut off within the next 10 hours. And I really had to make a payment. And I'm thinking, I know. Plus, their attitude was terrible. There was no customer service at all. They were rude. They were, I finally said, why don't you just turn the power off? That's fine with me. And he hung up on me. Sure. Well, good for you for, for not taking the bait, but they're, you know, people, they shouldn't be embarrassed to question these things, to right. wonder if they're legitimate or not, but it is best to, to be very vigilant. And if you're not sure, do not give out that private information. If you get a phone call, you can, you can hang up and, and find a, a phone number to contact the, you know, the so-called agency that, mm -hmm. that was trying to get in touch with you and see if it's legit or not. Same that, thing with an email, you know, if you see up, something. Yeah. That brings see. up a very good point, Zach. If they leave a phone number, don't expect it to be a legitimate phone number. Right. So there are ways to verify for both you know, phone calls, email, et cetera. But you know, the story that you shared, Joe, is obviously all too, too common. And we hear it with our clients. Unfortunately, they get caught in these circumstances from time to time. And then we do our best to help them remedy that. But obviously we'd like to prevent it as much as possible. And that's why, you know, we want to give tips for managing financial data and take that even further with our clients. And we give, you know, seminars that they're able to participate in to really give them a background of, of what to look for, what to be uh, weary of and how to protect themselves from fraud. And PII, personally identifiable information has been mentioned and that is, you know, anything that can be used to, for somebody to try and look like you, to access your information or to steal your identity, you know, birth date, social security number, account numbers, et cetera. And so do not share that PII, that personally identifiable information with an unknown third party. It is important that you just do not do that. If you're contacted by someone over the phone, you do not have to share that type of information. Like I mentioned, there's an issue, hang up, find the phone number, call back, verify that it was a legit inquiry. And in all likelihood, if they're asking for that sort of information, it was not a legit inquiry, but you can, you can certainly verify that. Joe mentioned the IRS will never call you on the phone. So, you know, just tips like that, that people don't, don't think about too often, but once it's in the back of their head, they're able to defend themselves in a better way against it. We've recently seen fraudulent unemployment claims that has been rampant and, mm. and something that you know, has been exploited quite a bit. And in most instances, it's just kind of a false attempt at somebody to get an un unemployment claim in, in someone else's name. And, and, you know, there's a little bit of cleanup to do. And in all these instances, once the fraud has been enacted, you know, then there's some pain points in trying to clean things up. So the more you can prevent things by being cautious on the front end, obviously the better. Joe, any other thoughts to that? 
you know, Zach, you made some good points there talking about ways to manage your financial data. Uh, a lot of it is low tech. I said that yep. before, but it's behavioral. Don't take calls from people you don't know. Don't click on links from sources that, that you don't know. You know, you can actually take your mouse and hover over the hyperlink. A lot of times emails come that look like it's from LinkedIn or Microsoft asking you to, to log in and verify, and you can take your mouse and hover over the blue hyperlink. It, it is that simple. And, and you get a link that clearly is not going to Microsoft's or LinkedIn site. So, but that's behavioral, right? Because we've got this sort of built-in response mechanism because we're on our phones and we're on our email and we like to be responsive and take care of stuff quickly and knock it off the list. So we we'll click on the click. link. Yeah, yeah urge, urge to, to click. click, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's hard all, to hold back. All of the uh, the tech giants have have trained us well to click on the link. So a lot of it is just training yourself to slow down, see what the email is. Does it come from a source that you know and trust, or does it look like it came from a source you know and trust, but really? It's, it's a fraud attempt in disguise. And hovering and looking at that email address that it came from, that's key. That's not difficult to do. As you say, it's just right. patience, but that is key. Some very interesting emails can come up. Yeah, definitely. And then so some specific actions for, for listeners to take, uh, some things that we can share that seem, seem pretty easy and, and familiar to us, but may not be to all. So we use a password manager. All Foster and Motley employees use a password manager. We use, in our instance, we use LastPass. And with all of the logins and credentials and passwords out there today, you know, it's it's clearly not the safe way to one use a really simple password and use it over and over and over for everything. Uh, hopefully everyone knows that's not a good idea anymore. Or two, have the written list of all your passwords uh, and put it right next to your computer so somebody could access it, right? So, you know, there's bad habits that had been formed as, as everyone was needing to create more and more login credentials for all the logins that we have, but there are tools for that now. And LastPass does just that. So you can actually have one extremely secure password that you use for LastPass and then LastPass can auto-generate, you know, hard passwords that are virtually unencryptable for each of your websites and auto log you on. So it's actually a lot more efficient when you're utilizing your computer throughout the day too, and significantly more secure. So that is something that I would encourage everybody to do. Look into a password manager. They're, you know, they're very effective. And then also always send files con containing that personally identifiable information or other sensitive information securely. So there are ways to do that now where you can use a safe send or some sort of password protected file that can be sent to another party so that only they can access it. So when you're sending information over email, don't send anything just through you know, purely hitting the send button that you wouldn't expect or wouldn't be willing to have everybody see because that's very accessible. You need to use a secure way to send a file when that information, that PII or other sensitive information is available in that email. And so that's very important. And then I'll let Joe talk about one thing that we hammer home with our clients and we, we do with our clients for each, each and every time. One of the first things we do with new clients, and that is Joe, we help them. We help them freeze their credit. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, if you followed the Equifax breach, 
couple that was years huge. back. And that was huge. Yeah. Yeah. It was huge. It was highly discomforting, right? Because this is a company whose primary objective, or at least one of them is storing securely, very sensitive information, right? Credit mm. information for millions and millions of people. So Equifax got breached. Hackers got access to sensitive information, including social security numbers. And that is not good, right? But <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> it's not the first or last time that a large institution mm-hmm. who safeguards sensitive client information has been hacked. And it'll happen again. And if you think about all the places you might store information, payment information, right? All these things that Zach just talked about are critical because you buy stuff online, many places, you might store your credit card information. So having good passwords is, is a great step. And having a password manager, I know for me and for our, our team here is hugely helpful. But let's say someone does get Zach's social security number and is able to convince a lending institution that they are in fact him because he has put a credit freeze in place. And what a credit freeze is, is basically a lock on your credit at the institutions, the credit bureaus that store that information. So the big three, you think of Equifax, Experian, TransUnion, there's actually a fourth agency that, that is smaller, but growing called Innovus. And those agencies house the information that is shared with, say, the finance department of a car dealer when you go apply for a car loan or a mortgage originator when you're looking to refinance or buy a new home. So you go in, have your credit run, so to speak. The financial institution will contact one of those agencies that I just mentioned, get your information. They'll say, hey, this this gentleman is a credit worthy borrower. So let's give him credit. That's kind of the process. So if someone were to steal credit information, steal Zach's social and go to a bank and say, I need to take out a line and here's my information. The bank would say, okay, fill out the forms. We're going to go to TransUnion to run your credit. And they would get, a, they would get blocked, right? Because the credit is frozen. So this credit freeze, which is now free at all these institutions, it used to cost five or 10 bucks, depending on the state, but now it's actually free, is the single most effective and actually cost-effective, right? Because it's free manner in which you can prevent a messy, time-consuming credit fraud event, because no one will get past that step of, okay, well, I can't run your credit because it's, it's locked up. So that is something we Clients are probably tired of hearing about if they haven't done it because I have it on the top of our agenda in every single meeting. Did you complete your credit freeze? Yes, you did. Great. No, you didn't. Let's set up a time. That is the best way to lock it down, at least on the credit side. And then with the good habits of password management, avoiding links, it's kind of the other, other end of the spectrum of personal data management. So, so we can't stress that enough, um, how important it is to do that get it in place. If you need to go get a loan, then you talk to the lending institution and say, Hey, my credit is frozen, which they're used to hearing now because lots of people fortunately have taken this step and they'll say, okay, you can thaw your credit and we're going to go run it at Experian. So you log on to Experian with your password and your pin, and they will thaw 
your credit for a couple of days. Financial institution gets the information they need. Credit freezes back up automatically and, and you move forward. Is it conceivable that someone could take your social and other information, get access to your file and freeze it themselves? And would that freeze you out? You know, that's the first time I've been asked that question. It's <laughs> <laughs> a very good question. I'll tell you that the process of freezing your credit is pretty thorough in the information that they ask you. In fact, occasionally it's so thorough that the person you know, that's trying to freeze their own credit can't come up with the answers. <laughs> so, which can, you know, then you have to go through some paperwork to get it done instead of the easy online process. But they'll ask questions that fraudsters just not going to know a type of car that you may have had years, years mm, before, okay. an address from years. And they ask several versions of those questions. So it's pretty thorough. I would say that most of the fraudsters out there are looking for you know, the money. quick fix. Exactly. And, and so I would think that this process is, you know, I wouldn't say it's impenetrable, but, but pretty yeah. darn safe. And if somebody freezes your credit, okay, well, the, nobody's accessing it uh, but, and you can find could, that out. Yeah, but you they can find, could then, my thought ahead. was they could then be using it and you wouldn't be able to get in to stop them. Yeah. Well, if, if it's frozen, they can't use it. So they'd have to thought every time they oh, wanted right. to use okay. it. Yep. And then you would know when you go in to freeze it, if it's already been set up that way, that something wrong has happened mm -hmm. and okay. would take the appropriate action to remedy that. But you know, the process is it's relatively pain-free, but it is thorough to make sure that it is the, the person that, you know, it says who they are is, is the actual one doing the freezing of their credit. And you do have to do it at each of the agencies, as Joe mentioned, but that doesn't take you off the hook from reviewing uh, your credit report just to be sure, but also your credit card statements, right? There's still oh, transactions yeah. that can happen on your credit card statements, active credit, credit that's already open that could be fraudulent. So just because your credit, credit is frozen does not mean that somebody can't get your credit card information, any of the credit cards that you may have and make fraudulent purchases, which happens, which happened to me recently. And is annoying, but at least the, the, the credit card companies are, mm -hmm. are very good about remedying that. So credit is protected in that regard. You just have to cancel the credit card. The fraudulent charges get refunded to you. And then you just have to go through the hassle of relisting your credit card number for all of those online sites that you had it before Amazon and whatever it may be. So, but that's, you know, that's part of, of the diligence is just being aware of all of your financial circumstances, accounts that you have, making sure there's no funny looking activity and, you know, taking the time to look through that on a relatively regular basis. And then also being vigilant in making sure that the institutions and service providers you're working, you're, you're working with are taking steps to safeguard your data. You know, we want to make sure that our clients are confident in what we're doing and also what our custodian of choice Schwab is doing. All of our client accounts are custodied with Schwab. And so we provide reporting on the very thorough safeguards in place for all of financial data. And, and people should ask for that from any provider that they work with that has access to their information. So what does Foster and Motley do? Tell me. Sure. Well, to safeguard our information, we do a lot of personnel training, background checks, of course, of employees coming in the door, ex extensive screening, and um, making sure that you know the employees we hire are certainly qualified, but also have a clean background, a clean history, and and so that's number one. And we've got a great team that you know does everything they can to protect our client information, and they undergo extensive training to make sure that they know what to look for. 
so that they know what, you know, how to protect uh, work emails and not accidentally click on something so that they're always sending information with you know, personally identifiable information very securely and not making the mistake of sending it through a standard email. So a lot of that training, there's policies that we have in place. And again, you know, just training to be proactive and monitoring for suspicious activity. We have anti-phishing training. I kind of talked about the email attacks that come about from hackers and that phishing has gotten, uh, you know, more and more hard to, to just find in a very simple manner. Sometimes it looks very legit. Mm -hmm. And so we want to make sure that people are, that our employees are taking the time to appropriately check each email, especially when there's a link to be clicked, hover over it, make sure that it is what it says it is, make sure that the sender is legitimate and all of these little tricks that we have to, to give us the best chance of preventing any access from outside fraudsters into our information and our clients' information. And so that's you know very important for us. And that, that's all good personnel tactics there. What about the, the hardware? What do you have there? Yeah. So, you know, Zach mentioned before, you know, when we say manage secure, securely our financial data, you know, we're talking about a framework. That framework includes the systems. It includes the processes. So our systems are both hardware and software based. So we use ShareFile, as Zach mentioned, to share documents in an encrypted manner. We don't want to be sending sensitive information over emails. That's an opportunity for someone to intercept that email and, and take that information. We have a strong firewall software setup. We use both anti-spam and anti-phishing software. So we're trying to so to speak, put up a wall from stuff coming in. Um, there's a balance to that, right? Because we could put up an impenetrable wall and be missing things we, we don't want to miss, right? So, you know, we were talking with our IT director about this earlier today. There's a balance. If we're getting five, 10 phishing emails a day, we're probably doing something wrong. If we're getting one or two a week, then we probably found the right balance. That password policy that Zach mentioned, that's critical. So creating strong passwords, making sure they're changed regularly, you know, kind of on the low tech piece of it, you know, to the extent we still have paper around with sensitive information, we shred it. That shredding happens on site. So that information never leaves Foster. It's shredded, shredded just outside the door in a truck. And then again, kind of on the training side, when we get emails that look funny and, and we can't say this enough, you know, Hey, I, I had a, an accident. I'm traveling. You know, so this is a situation where a client's email has been hacked, right? And they go in and find Zach or my or another team member's email and the autofill and say, oh, you know, financial institution, let's go ask him for money. And let's, by the way, ask for money to be wired to an account that we don't have on file. So things like that, you know, or change our address or authorize personal information to go to a third party. Whenever we see anything that isn't already kind of hard-coded, so to speak, into our system, what we call, we pick up the phone and we call our clients. And that is, again, it's a training thing. It's kind of get that habit built. If a client had their email breached and someone were to say, send me $5,000 to my bank account, you know, probably the worst thing that would happen is we would send $5,000 to our client's checking account on file. They might call us up and say, oh, well, why'd you send money? And, you know, we'll say, well, we sent it to your 
account of record. Anything that's out of the ordinary that looks funny, we are we have our antennas up, so to speak, to look for look for that. And you know, part of an important part of this framework of managing information in a secure manner is choosing vendors that treat their clients' information similarly to how we treat it. So Schwab, for example, has created Schwab Safe. And a lot of that is behind the scenes, but they are actually looking for hacks or unusual activity just on a daily basis. They use highly encrypted technology. You have to use two-factor authentication to get into your Schwab site. So we think all that's great. We use most of our software that we use to manage client portfolios, to run tax projections, to do the work we do is web-based. So Zach and I will hop on our computers in the morning and pull up five or six different websites. And that's kind of our, our playground for the day, so to speak, for work. Uh, every one of those sites has a unique password, a unique login. Fortunately, we have our software to manage the passwords, so we don't have to remember them. And they're set up in a manner that we couldn't even if we wanted to. So, and all those sites, we utilize two-factor authentication, which is take it one step beyond just username and a password. And, and I would say for folks listening, yes, it's a little bit of an extra step, right? Because you have to get some other thing in play, but gosh, it's an easy way to keep people out of your websites. Even if you have what I would call a subpar password, that's easy to figure out. If step two is, hey, send a text to my mobile phone, and give me a code, or even better, link a third-party authenticator app. And Google and Microsoft both have good authenticator apps if you want to download one. And I have to click the authenticate button to get into that site. That is a whole other level of protection from, hey, here's a username and a password. Because in theory, with a hack of a site, it is possible that your login information could be corrupted. Not likely, but possible. It's happened before. Uh, Two-factor really sort of can cut that off at the knees, so to speak. Yeah. We've talked a lot about different types of fraud, and it's certainly always in the news, especially lately. Is It's just ramp seems to be rampant and everywhere. We're not having this conversation to scare anybody to death here. We're, we don't want uh, our clients or, or people listening to be overly fearful and, and just, you know, unhealthy unhealthily uh, concerned about being uh, subjected to fraud, but just be aware of the risks. And there are many out there. And also take the time to learn ways to prevent these frauds. And, you know, you can do a lot with some simple steps to really make yourself uh, more secure, your information more secure and more resistant to any fraudulent activity, whether it's a password manager or you know, utilizing a secure share document uh, share file, or you know, just learning to hover over a link in an email, and then of course freezing your credit, which we will we will yes, yes. talk about one more time as a very important tool. So take these tips and put them into play, and know that they will give you a much better chance of you know keeping fraud away from you and and your loved ones as you pass this these messages along. And, you know, hopefully you don't have that pain of having your identity stolen because, you know, you were unaware or unprepared. 
Well, Zach and Joe, that is some very sobering information, but needed information about security, especially what we as individuals should do and what Foster and Motley is doing. Kind of put your mind at rest. For all you listeners, subscribe to Foster and Motley's podcast about life and wealth for information that is timely and beneficial. Share with friends and colleagues, and please comment and let us know what questions you may have. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to Foster and Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Foster and Motley. The content, including mention of specific investments or planning techniques, is for informational and for educational purposes only. It is not intended as a recommendation or a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster and Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers. Any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk.